baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It is 8.07 in the Twin Cities. Uh, Great to be on with you on another Saturday evening. A lot to talk about. Once again, we've got an impasse, a budget impasse at the state capitol. And we certainly have uh, the continuing saga of all that is going on with the president of the United States. Joining me right now, one of my favorite guests, the one and only Professor David Schultz. How are you tonight? Cabin fevered like everybody else. <laughs> oh, I know. It's just uh, crazy. I mean, well, it doesn't seem to stop raining. It doesn't. I mean, we just went, we went out shopping just a little while ago so we could get some fresh air. And even <laughs> then, it was still disgusting to be outside. Absolutely. And then kind of cold and damp and drizzly. And uh, Let me ask you, and, and, you know, I think I feel like for the past year and a half, you know, we've kind of opened these segments by saying just when you think it couldn't get any crazier, and it gets crazier, and once again – it seems like every day this week there has been something remarkable occurring uh, with this whole, you know, in the aftermath of the Comey firing exactly. by, by the president. Exactly. It, 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 it almost literally changes hour by hour. Um, I mean, where we're we up to right now, uh, unless in the last 20 minutes something else is new that I haven't heard about or something like that, is we have now um, an unnamed person who's a person of interest, a subject of of um, an FBI investigation surrounding possible allegations of, of moving money around from, um, from Russian nationals into bank accounts. Um, we have um, Donald Trump, who apparently referred to Comey um, when he met with the Russians as a nut job and that his life would be, what, a lot easier now that he was no longer around. And so we, have, we, we just have, again, this continuing saga of things going on. Of course, from a couple of days ago, the appointment of um, Robert Mueller to be the special investigator so it, it is. If I'm, if I'm Donald Trump and I'm trying to make news in terms of getting out my voice, my message, it's not happening very well. And so, what did he do? As everybody else does, as president, when they want to make news, go abroad, go on a road trip, and that's where he is right now in Saudi Arabia. In terms of the announcement of a special prosecutor, that's really a game changer, isn't it? It is pretty significant. Now, the first thing just to point out to people is that. Appointment of Mueller doesn't necessarily mean anybody is guilty of anything. People oftentimes used to say in the old days when they appointed a special prosecutor that was tantamount to guilt. What's going on right now is we really don't know um, a lot of stuff. And I think partly what's going on with Mueller is to actually investigate a whole bunch of different things. You know, it's the, the Russian interference in U.S. elections. It's Michael Flynn. It's connections between Trump administration and Trump campaign and perhaps Russian officials. I think it's kind of a a far-reaching investigation at this point, but it's significant because what it suggested to me is that that the Justice Department um, is is serious in terms of doing an investigation. And I know oftentimes a lot of people will want to think, well, the federal government, everybody's politicized, everybody's under control of the president. There's an awful lot of careerists, an awful lot of dedicated people 
who work in many levels of the federal government, including the Justice Department, that want to do a serious, serious investigation. And it's going to be very, very hard now for Trump to be able to exercise much control now that we have um, an independent investigator, independent prosecutor involved in this matter. So, right. so and it's it, important. And it also indicates, and, and certainly, you know, there have been some statements by the president saying, you know, this is sort of a, you know, he wants this to go away and, and this is a witch hunt. This isn't going to go away because the, these these kinds of investigations with a special prosecutor in the past have taken months, if not years. Exactly correct. These these are investigations that are not up and up and done. You know, in in like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. This could very well last a year, a couple of years. And part of it's also going to depend upon the degree of cooperation that one sees coming from from Donald Trump and his administration. If, in fact, they're perceiving this, as Trump has said, as just a witch hunt, um, it might suggest that he's not going to cooperate, which means things are going to get fought between Mueller and the Trump administration you know, every step in the process, which could mean, among other things, you know, fights in court over subpoenas, um, over lots of information. And the reason why this is significant, if Trump and the Republicans want this to, to be over quickly so that they can, A, move on to their policy agenda, and B, get this behind them before the 2018 elections, um, they're going to be sadly mistaken to find out that, that this is clearly going to drag us into 2018, um, and it might very well take us up to maybe even perhaps the 2018 elections. And so this ensures that the questions surrounding Russian influence um, and Russian business ties, the Trump administration and the staff, um, is going to be a major issue dominating the 2018 elections. All right. You know, the president is uh, now in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the tweets have been sort of, you know, I'm in Saudi Arabia. There doesn't seem to be any kind of, you know, response about, you know, the witch hunt or whatever. But the the president's continuing use of Twitter, you know, sort of lashing out on Twitter is something that I think even his supporters agree can only hurt him. It shows, though, that, that you know, to me at least, that he is just in some ways obsessed with this. He is obsessed. And I, I want to talk about the Twitter in two different ways. His Twitter has hurt him already in terms of the um, federal court cases that have involved his, you know, his Muslim immigration ban um, and the sanctuary cities, because especially with the former two, when his attorneys went to court um, and were trying to defend it and saying it really wasn't a Muslim ban, the judge, judge in the cases would point out and say that, well, guess what? Um, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the challengers would point out and say, we see not only in your speeches, but in actually in your Twitter, um, in your in your tw- Twitter feeds, it, referring to it as a Muslim ban. And so he is he is not being judicious in terms of how he uses Twitter, and those words are hurting him. And two, you're absolutely right. There is the sense in which it's become clear that that the investigation has already consumed his presidency. And this is not good for him. Okay, and and it's only the presidency is only four months old. It's only four months old, right? And we talked about this the other day on CCO television, in the sense that if we think about some of the other major presidential scandals, you know, in the last fifty years, Watergate, Iran Contra, um, Bill Clinton, and Monica Lewinsky, all these took place in the second term of presidencies. Um, after a president had at least four years in office, in some cases six years, and in all those cases, those controversies pretty much dominated um, or ended the presidencies in terms of being able to do anything. And 
here, we're now looking at after four months. In fact, what today's exactly four months. Today's the 20th, right? Today's exactly four months into his presidency. Um, and this, these, these questions are swirling, and a special investigator's um, been appointed. Uh, this is going to make it very difficult um, to, to really get any kind of stability in his, his administration because if the other three scandals are an indication of what happened to the presidency there, he's going to find the same difficulties moving forward now and perhaps wreck his presidency from almost the beginning. All right. We do have to take a break here. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk with Professor David Schultz. Uh, more and more people are bringing up the W word, Watergate. Is this a comparable situation at this point? Are there some parallels? Are there a lack of parallels? More with Professor David Schultz after this on News Radio 830 WCCO. It is uh, Esme Murphy along with Professor David Schultz. Uh, parallels to Watergate, actually, I just glanced up at CNN and saw uh, just some footage of the Watergate hearings from you know the 1970s. That They obviously are threw that up there and resurrected that. I mean, what do you think? I mean, from, from a whole host of perspectives, are there parallels, not parallels, in your view? Yes. The simple answer is yes and no. Yes, there are parallels. You know, if we see them in terms of 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 a presidency where there are allegations of wrongdoing, where a president um, appears to to dismiss somebody who's doing an investigation into potential criminal activity involving the president or the or the or the presidential administration, whether that be Archibald Cox with Nixon or um, James Comey with Donald Trump, um, and Perhaps we can also say the other parallels that are out there, too, in terms of there seems to be some movement now for some congressional investigations. There's admission by the president. There are going to be hearings hearings. that certainly will be televised. Exactly. Um, Some some admissions by the president of the United States. We now hear that some of those... White House conversations may be taped um, and with, with people, and therefore Congress that would be really interesting, wouldn't it? That would be really interesting on this, and, and if we and we should come back and talk about that in terms of, of those, those tapes, in terms of what would happen to them. Um, so we have a lot of parallels there. But the other thing I want to suggest here is that if we could take us back in time, take us back in time to let's say about. June, well, June of 72 is when the Watergate break-in actually occurred. And people might forget that what the original Watergate story was about, um, it was about several individuals who were burglars who broke into the Democratic National Headquarters located in the Watergate office complex in Washington, D.C. And the initial story, uh, as it ran in the paper, was it made it sound like a small, a small break-in um, um, some allegations, perhaps the president was involved or not, but Richard Nixon wins re-election in 72. Um, and, but then, um, it, despite that story, but then in 73, it really starts to take off in terms of reporters like Woodward and Bernstein and other media um, starting to go after him. Um, and then we start to see the congressional hearings kick in, et cetera, et cetera. But the reason why I mention that is that, let us say, approximately you know, um, a few months into the Watergate um, story. All we knew about was a break-in um, at the Democratic National Headquarters, and perhaps, m- although not clear, maybe somehow somebody connected to the president was involved. 
Now let's take it to what we have here in terms of, um, you know, with Donald Trump, is that right off the bat, we have allegations of what? We have allegations of, of Russian influence and interference in U.S. elections, potential collusions with between Trump and his administration, the Russians, and a pretty rapid already dismissal of somebody um, in the government who is doing investigation. What I'm trying to get at here is that on one level, um, let's say four months or five months out, however we want to define it, the allegations here about what's going on are far more serious than what were the allegations initially in Watergate, which were only about what? Only about a break-in. Here, it's about about foreign interference or collusion in U.S. elections. And so I make that point because I think we're starting from a far more serious known point right now than we were when Watergate started. Right. Um, yeah, the issue with Watergate... It was the cover-up. Exactly. was so much worse than the crime. It was. It was. Now, the other thing I mentioned, too, is now with 40 years of hindsight, 40, almost 45 years of hindsight, we also know that Watergate involved a whole – it's sort of a, a shorthand term for a whole bunch of other abuses engaged by the Nixon administration. Um, people forget, for example, that he also maintained an enemies list. Um, he had journalists on his list that he was retaliating against, not just Woodward and Bernstein, but I remember, and I think he used to be with CBS. Remember when Daniel Shore used to be, oh, with, yeah. used to be with CBS a long, long time ago? Um, um, he was um, going after Daniel Shore or some allegations of bugging them, um, bugging some journalists. This, this feeling or sense of, you know, a witch hunt, that this, this was unfair, that this was, you know, everybody was out to get him. Exactly. You see, that I see so, so clearly. I mean, to me, that's a striking parallel. Oh, it's a very striking parallel. But again, here, as is the attacks on the media now, as is, as is I would say, also um, the fact that we're starting to see um, it perhaps escalate even more in terms of, of other events um, that the Trump administration may be accused of, as well as the Nixon administration, where it eventually expanded to a cover-up, hush money, a whole bunch of different things. But you're right. But even the personality parallels are there now. You know that many people describe Nixon as an intensely paranoid person who, 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 as you pointed out here, you know thought everybody was out to get him in terms of a witch hunt. And Donald Trump is literally using that same same language this week, also in terms of feeling like he's the persecuted person. Um, no one's been treated worse than him. So, so there there will be somebody out there who who will um, write a book on this at some point. I you know I, I usually mention it, but I'll do it right now. Is I actually did a blog on that to, on this today. The parallels between Watergate um, um, and what's happening with Donald Trump right now. Um, and so I outline s- some of what I see. And there, again, there are parallels, but also very significant differences in terms of also that. 1973-74, there was bipartisan support for investigating Richard Nixon. We're nowhere near that right now, where the, the partisanship is so powerful in the United States that Republicans in Congress and people who voted for Donald Trump are firmly behind him. Whereas with Nixon, we saw that it was Republican Senator Howard Baker um, during, in, in the Senate who was the first one who raised the phrase, what did the president know and wh- when did he know it? So, so the political climate is dramatically different in terms of how it defines the um, um, investigations into Trump compared to what we saw right. with Nixon 44, 40, 43 years ago. Right. And Nixon, you know, sort of, I think, arguably at the start was coming from a stronger place. I mean, he just won a, a landslide, you know, I mean, absolute landslide. And, you know, so he had that going for him. 
in terms of, you know, the Trump situation, it'll be interesting to see if there will be profound cracks in terms of Republican Mm-hmm. I, I, won't, I I'm I'm hesitant to say support because I think even that has changed. Right. Uh, with, with some of these late the, the Comey nut job comment and things like that. I mean, it just it'll be interesting to see if that happens. You are starting to get some prominent Republicans. I actually saw Karl Rove on Fox News last night, uh, basically saying this is a big deal. Yes. You know the, the, these comments. You know the, the New York Times story saying that. Um, you know. Comey told the, or that the president told the Russians that you know he just fired Comey because he was a nut job and this was relieving all this pressure on him. Right, right. And, and Karl Rove was sitting there saying, "This is important. This is significant. Um, this is something we really need to keep an eye on. Obviously, and 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 this needs to be investigated." I think sort of two comments there. First, the first one is in terms of the fact that. Republicans may be starting to sense at this point that Trump could very well drag the party down in 2018, especially with this investigation going on. And therefore, um, I think they're, they're starting to worry in terms of um, they might have to distance themselves from Donald Trump. Otherwise, one of the other parallels that we could see is in 1974, the Re- Nixon so brought down the Republican Party that Democrats won a won a blowout election in Congress and in Minnesota and across the country that gave them enormous, enormous majorities. And so I think the Republicans are starting to worry about that. The second thing I want to sort of draw as an observation is less about 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 the political fortunes there. And we've talked about how on the air, you know, I've between the Defense Department and the State Department, you know, I've done I've done some work for, you know for four previous presidential administrations, you know, two Republican, two Democrat. And I say that because one of the things that I know when I go overseas, you know, is is that is that I can be critical of the United States, I'm allowed to be, but I, but I never badmouth the United States um, when I go abroad. You know, it's kind of the old expression, you never sort of hang your dirty laundry out. And, and for Trump to have, you know, made comments to the Russians about the fact that, that Comey is a nut job, et cetera, et cetera, that's generally the kind of stuff that presidents and people who understand diplomacy don't do. And the leak had to have come from his own people. Yes. I mean, I mean, there was nobody else in that meeting. It's not like there were American reporters there. He only had like reporters, and uh, you know, and that's what's so interesting is that there's obviously hemorrhaging from within his own, you know, ranks. Exactly. And then he makes was it this week or last week? Now I can't remember if Trump also threatened at one point and saying, "Well, maybe I won't hold any more press conferences now." Um, I can't remember if it was this week or last week he made that threat. You know, he sort of feels completely embattled you know, by the media at this point. And again, it's significant that we're starting to see Karl Rove and Fox News starting to break on this also, because if they start to break and become critical of the president of the United States, that is going to be, you know, Donald Trump, that is going to be very significant in terms of how that mobilizes Republican opinion on this issue. All right. Uh, Chatting with Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. We are going to take a break, give you some weather. Yes, uh, there's more rain in the forecast. Uh, The details coming up. And then we'll have more with Professor Schultz. Uh, Obviously, we've got to get to this enormous uh, situation at the state capitol, the deadline uh, for getting all their work done Monday night at midnight. Uh, That's not that far away. Keep it right here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. 
8.36 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy along with Professor David Schultz. What about that legislature? <laughs> well, right now it doesn't look like they're going to have their job done by Monday night, uh, which means we're heading off to special session. The last I knew, and again, unless you have anything new that's come into CCO, um, is that the governor and the legislature don't seem to be involved in any negotiations. The Republicans are just passing their own versions of the budget bills again and look like they're going to be sending them off to the governor. It and I suspect the governor is going to veto him again, which means I think we're going to be looking into a long special session. Unless you've heard something different in the, right. in the last little while. I, I have not. You know, I th- well, I think, I think one thing in, in the past, the governor has not been willing to call a special session unless there's an agreement beforehand. Right. So I, I, I would imagine that that would hold it because if they can't, if they're just going to sit there and not get anything done. I mean, it would have to be done. But the, the pressure, it's, 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 uh, it's a high-stakes poker game at this point. It is. I was going to throw another quick story here to indicate how little is happening at the legislature right now. Okay, so this afternoon, given how stormy it was, I was processing emails and taking care of stuff. I had sent out to several legislators um, earlier in the week um, a few emails just sort of notifying them about a project that I'm working on, just kind of FYI. Um, this afternoon, I was exchanging emails back and forth with these legislators. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, okay. <laughs> um, aren't they supposed to be legislating or doing something like that? And the fact that they could exchange emails with me in the middle of a Saturday afternoon on the last week of the session was not a good sign regarding where the deliberations were. In terms of um, the stakes here, obviously, uh, Governor, and I think a lot of people, was, I think we need to remind everyone that Minnesota is sort of unusual. And I don't know if it is unusual, but it's every two years, you got to get a budget done. And this is one of those years. So last year was not one of those years. And it didn't happen, but that was okay right. because it was one of those years, and so things just didn't happen. This year, they've got to do it. Correct. And if there's not an agreement by July 1st, a government shutdown would occur. Exactly, as we had a few years ago. And even though people say, well, they still have till July 1st to get the job done, in many ways it has to be done before that because, for example, um, lots of school, all the school districts um, get money from the state of Minnesota, and they need to know well in advance of July 1st how much money they're going to receive so they can make decisions in terms of you know, hirings, contract renewals, um, substitute teachers, you know, just a whole bunch of different things. Local governments are in the same way also. And so you really need to have that planning in advance. And it's the same thing with a lot of state agencies. They're going to be letting out contracts to vendors in terms of being able to let them know whether or not, you know, we can go ahead with a construction project or whatever like that. So, so July 1st um, is the date when the government shuts down. But I would say several weeks before that, as we saw a few years ago, when it starts to get into to June, the government agencies start planning and going through the process of planning for shutting down, winding down. Um, there's lots of uncertainty. And I actually calculated this once in terms of how many millions of dollars it costs just to plan to shut down. Um, and then eventually, once the shutdown is over, it wind up. And so the point is, is that we, we think of there being a July 1st deadline, um, which, um, which is really before that. But what's really funny, the fact I'm even in this conversation, it's supposed to be done by Monday. Um, but it seems like as if we never get done um, by the appointed deadline anymore, and that deadline almost doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, and it, 
Well, it, it doesn't. And, yeah. um, you know, obviously the, this will be the last year, two-year budget for Governor Dayton, right. and he seems pretty dug in, as, as do the Republicans. Right, right. And the difference is – and, and the differences are both policy and, and dollars. Um, the state budget is composed of 10 what's called omnibus um, bills um, that are broken up by areas like public safety and security, health and human services, transportation. And the legislature has to pass all 10 of those bills. Governor has to sign them. Um, he's vetoed several of them already, um, um, arguing that the dollar amounts in terms of how much the Republicans are willing to, to budget for things such as um, health and human services, education, um, um, and even for types of think funding, um, mass transit versus roads, he doesn't agree with. And then on top of which, um, he is arguing that these budget bills um, improperly have within them a lot of policy measures that he doesn't like. And so he, the, the gulf is actually pretty significant. Even if, let us say, miraculously overnight tonight, um, they were to reach agreement on budget targets in numbers. It's pretty unlikely they could be finished by by Monday night, simply in terms of actually hammering out the numbers, and on top of which, the governor still has those policy objections in terms of not liking a lot of things that are in the bills. And so it's pretty unlikely um, that they're going to reach agreement, and both the governor and the legislature have, believe they have dueling mandates. Um, a governor who's, um, who has probably the highest approval ratings he's had. And that's true. You know, you, you, you're absolutely right about that. You know, I, I keep forgetting that. It's in excess of 60 percent. I think, it's the, I think he's the most popular he's ever been, um, if not pretty close to it. So he's got incredibly high approvals. He's thinking legacy at this point. This is his last chance to put an imprint upon the state of Minnesota. And the Republicans believe also that they have a, have a, a, a mandate. Um, and so you put those two forces together, and it doesn't look like a lot of room for compromise at this point. And with that, you now have, of course, the 2018 elections for governor and for the state house of representatives i think influencing the debates here too so a lot of things are going on that are creating forces not for compromise but creating forces for what could very well be another entrenched um, dig in um and maybe another partial government shutdown well and, and the republicans insist that they're making movements they say that their tax bill is now um you know half of what it was, you know, so there's a lot of rhetoric on both sides. I mean, just the logistics of it certainly suggests that it, it's, it can't happen, you know, by Monday night. I, I just what you were saying about the printing of the bills and just getting it done. It just doesn't seem like it's going to work at all. You know, the, the the problem with a shutdown is I just don't see how either side would be willing to go that into that after what happened the last time. I mean, it, it was, you know, I, I don't think anybody people weren't happy. No one's happy with it. But but. But the fear of a shutdown is no longer there anymore. And I say that because, you know, in the last, what, since almost in the last 20 years, we've had two shutdowns and a, and oh, a, and a, and a near shutdown. Um, the stigma is almost beyond that. And I say that because, to people beyond that because, uh, in the legislature because we've done that, uh, um, that we've somehow survived those shutdowns. There's a knowledge of the fact that, guess what, that not everything is going to shut down, that the courts are going to keep essential services going. And so I'm just not sure the fear is there. Plus, even though collectively everybody says we don't want the government to shut down, uh, the, there's a whole bunch of individual self-interested reasons. Um, 
um, pushing in different directions that make it impossible right. to get to that sort of collective choice. And so, yeah, and I think I think I think the Republicans also sort of think that the, the governor's seat is theirs for the taking. Yes, yes, I think so. And so I think they're viewing this also. And, and House Speaker Kirk Dowd is expected to run. <laughs> right, and especially since I think one of the other announcements that just came out late this afternoon is one of the potential Republican candidates, um, Sheriff Stanek, has announced on his Facebook page he's not going to run. Um, and, and, and I don't know if you saw that. Um, and so I, that, I had not seen that. I know he was thinking. I actually asked him when he was a guest on, on the Sunday TV show. I said, are you running for governor? He goes, yes, no, maybe. Yes. <laughs> and I, and so, I thought, wow, so, I've never, that's, yes, right. I've never so, heard that one before. That's right. So his Facebook page late this afternoon, he said he's not running for governor, which now means at this point we're starting to narrow more likely to it's going to be probably somebody like Dow. Matt Dean has already said he's going to run. Jeff Johnson, who ran for, you know, four, well, three years, well, two years ago, I should say, two years ago, um, um, is is going to run. But but the most likely scenario is it's probably going to be a legislator at this point, which means they're having to dig in both with other legislators to build support and at the same time um, play to the Republican base in terms of taking on the governor and the Democrats. All right, uh, we have to take a quick break. Uh... Final thoughts with Professor David Schultz. Uh, They did get Real ID done. We can talk about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll be right back after this. It is 849 in the Twin Cities, 49 degrees. Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University, we're talking about the impasse at the state capitol. Um, They did get Real ID done. They did. Yes, which they had to. And so right now we can say the two biggest accomplishments are Real ID and Sunday liquor sales. That, those are going to happen here. Those are going to happen. Um, uh, it, it is going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I, just, I just can't believe that, that either of them, as I said, you know, would be willing to take it to the state of a government shutdown. And, and I think you raise, though, an interesting point that people are like, hey, we've survived the government shutdown before. But when you think about what happened in 2011, um, and actually I was just um, – uh, Jonathan Lowe and, and Kevin Reed were just re- reminding me that um, one of the things that seemed to be critical was that because the way stations on state highways were closed or limited, mm-hmm. the beer trucks weren't coming in. That's right. And that was really a problem. It was. It was uh, the beer tr- And I think it was also what some people said was also what brought it to an end was that I think they couldn't sell what was it beer licenses or beer licenses? Yep. Um, I, think, I think I think that's what it is. Or, or, or sort of something about taxes. And when it became clear that we weren't going to be able to to sell beer, um, the joke was that that's changed everything in terms of um, um, pushing pushing people to to reach a decision. Right. But but moving beyond sort of that sort of humorous point here, again, one of the things I want to underscore is the fact that that shutdown costs an incredible amount of money, of which up until recently, may even now. We're still paying out because when the government shut down, there were lots of contractors um, who who had contracts with the state of Minnesota who weren't getting paid or or had a delay on their jobs, and we had to do payouts oftentimes for breaches of contract, plus the cost of just shutting the government down. You know, for several weeks in terms of planning to shut them down um, caused lots of problems. Those government workers, you know, didn't get paid during that time. I mean, this was pretty serious. And then again, we might recall what the state parks were closed, the waste No, the way rest stops on the highways in the middle of, you know, the summer. Obviously, that's not a good thing when people are, um, you know, when when people are trying to get places. So, I mean, the consequences were, were really very real and very difficult. 
They were. They were. And, and given all that, again, you would think that there would be enough of a of a um, of a fear, but we somehow survived that. I think for many people or, um, would would say that, um, or many legislators might say that. Guess what? Well, we got through that, or we're not the ones who are going to take responsibility for the shutdown. And so you have many of them saying it will be the other party that will take the blame. And so again, there are all kinds of individualistic reasons as to why um, we're seeing what we do um, in terms of this yet again going into special session, yet again risking a a um, shutdown. But even beyond the polarization, even beyond sort of all the different sort of individual political self-interest, I still come back and make a couple of basic arguments that there's something wrong with the budget process also, is that the legislature comes into session early January, the governor releases a budget late January, we wait until the end of February for the fiscal forecast. I mean, in many ways, the legislature doesn't even start to work on the budget until about two months into the whole process. Um, and instead does a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, it just doesn't seem like that process makes any sense anymore, but we've been using the same process forever, and government is so much more complex now than it used to be that maybe we need to change things in terms of how we do the, pro- the budget. And then additionally, I'm going to make one other plea that we've talked about. Our neighbor to the east, Wisconsin, has a law in the books that says if the legislature and the government can't get their budget done by the, by the due date, um, the existing budget continues automatically um, until such time as they reach agreement. There's no reason why we couldn't do the same thing and prevent right. a shutdown from ever occurring. It, and. A, a compelling point, but you know, also what's different this time is like in 2011 there was, I believe, a five billion dollar deficit. Yes. Here we've got a, a 1.6 billion dollar surplus, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think I think that's going to be a difficult situation to, to I, I think, for people to swallow. If it, you know, it's it's one thing when people are trying to figure out where we don't have any money, but right. we've got the money. That's right. Right. I mean, usually think that when, pe- when when there's lots of money, everybody wants to give it away, and there's no problem in terms of figuring how to reach agreement. Here, they can't figure out how to give it away, um, and so and so that seems so so odd about it um, that we may walk away with like money in the bank, which may not necessarily be a problem if we had a budget, but the fact that we've got money in the bank and we don't know what to do with it, and we can't reach agreement on the budget, um, really seems very, very odd and distinguishes us, again, from what we saw you know, several years ago when we had the shutdown. Right. So we will see that there appears to have been no movement right. uh, at, at, at all that I've been able to see, you know, like both monitoring you know, different news accounts and social media as well. Right, and right. perhaps there will be, I mean, both the governor and, and Speaker Doubt will be on WCCO-TV Sunday morning, you know, maybe... Maybe something will happen there. I don't you know. know. <laughs> Maybe you'll be able to get them to agree right on the air um, and solve everything. Well, it makes me think that they both want to come on and state their case. Exactly. And, exactly. and, 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 and make their appeal about why they're right, which to me, while I'm, I'm honored to have both of them, I, 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 that's to me what that suggests. It does. Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention here, I say this to my students. My students, when I say to, you, say to them, if you write a paper the night before it's due under the influence of no sleep and a, and a quart bottle of, of Mountain Dew, the paper during the next, the paper you turn in looks like it was done the night before with no sleep, et cetera, et cetera. And I say that because right now what we're going to look at, if they reach agreement, it's going to be in the middle of the night at the last minute um, with not a lot of sleep and under a heavy influence of caffeine. It's not going to be a very good budget. 
Right. And and there also could be mistakes in it exactly. or omissions. Exactly. As we saw, was it last or, year? Or things in there that, that nobody realizes are in there. Exactly. Remember, was it last year where the governor, um, a couple times there where the governor signed bills <laughs> and realized at the last minute that there were things in it that didn't belong in there or, or vetoed things because or, 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 or vetoed things because he suddenly realized at the last minute that there were mistakes in there. And that's, that is part and parcel of, of our Minnesota legislative process, which you make the argument and have for some time. And I, I don't understand why people aren't sort of signing up with you saying, you know, maybe our, our system needs to be changed. Yep. Um, but I don't really see any kind of anybody calling for that. Yeah, there isn't. There, there's absolutely no pressure to try to change the basic rules in terms of how we do the process. Uh, and instead, we just seem to sort of limp along every two years and... That's it. We limp along every two years. All right. Well, limping, uh, I guess we are <laughs> limping right. along. Well, listen, Professor David Schultz, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Right. Good night to all. Thank you. Absolutely. The one and only David Schultz. And please read his blog. He has a really interesting one about Watergate and the comparisons that a lot of people are drawing uh, with the current situation involving the president. But he also talks about the things that are different about it uh, at this point. And obviously that is still a work in progress. Uh, and as I mentioned, um, tomorrow, both the governor and House Speaker Kurt Dow will be uh, live in our studios at WCCO Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. And I think that we're going to hear them making their case. Perhaps maybe there'll be some kind of breakthrough by then. It certainly doesn't look like that is going to happen at all. But we'll see also tomorrow. Uh, we'll hear from Congresswoman Betty McCollum, who will also be live in studio uh, she has expressed concerns about the Trump administration, uh, praising the appointment of a special prosecutor and saying that she has herself been drawing parallels to the Watergate situation. Uh, we'll get hear from her as well. So please tune in uh, Sunday morning, 6 a.m., 1030 a.m. Uh, certainly also get the latest weather forecast from uh, my friend Mike Augustinak. And it is uh, the amount of water, uh, the amount of rain that we have seen. Uh, is extraordinary. I mean, I, I'm sure the rain gauges are just bulging as as we speak. Um, it's a pattern that we seem to be into, and I notice that there are there is still rain in our extended forecast. So it is definitely going to be a wet one. Um, Want to give a shout out to studio coordinators Jonathan Lowe and also Kevin Reed. Uh, they uh, do the heavy lifting in terms of making sure that we are on the air and the guests get on the air or calls get on the air, and they do a great job uh, week in and week out, so I'm very grateful to them. And also, I uh, just want to give a shout-out to Kyle Sheely, uh, Susan Blanche, the regular producer for this show, was off, and Kyle, uh, juggling an extra handful of jobs, uh, was able to put a great show together. So thank you, Kyle. Keep it here. News Radio 830. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.